everyone are going to go to their Sunday school activity. And if you want to turn to Luke chapter 10, we're going to read from Luke. The, the group... Uh, the group coming in are the Alberni Literary Society, which is really good news. They're going to take over the Discovery College area. And I think it's a really good fit. They, they do a lot of work with people uh, who are learning the English language or getting acclimatized into Canada. And they have about 80 tutors at work, and so it's really good to have them. Bill's very involved. In fact, Bill Taylor was part of the reason they even exist, I think. So... It's, it's very, very cool to have them uh, joining us at the beginning of April. We're looking at uh, Luke chapter 10 from verse 23, which is the familiar story of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And, and who, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Father, as we read your word and we think of these truths that you taught and lived we hear you say again and again well if you believe it do it and so we would desire to be a people who don't just uh, profess faith with our lips but we also live it out in our lives and in your church and so we pray your Holy Spirit will breathe into us this morning your word of encouragement of inspiration uh, giving us a vision for the future that will cause us to desire more of you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, in these kind of um, annual general meetings, I'm meant to traditionally, in some traditions anyway, give a long speech. And I hate doing that, so I'm not going to do it. I'm much more interested in trying to sort of encourage us to grow in the vision of what God is calling us to be in his church. And I'm much more interested in, in saying, Lord, what are you saying to us today and how do we get there and, and where are we? 
So I want to start with that passage out of Jericho, um, out of Joshua, where Joshua um, is the one who, with Caleb, were born in Egypt. I mean, they were, the, they were the ones who were born in Egypt. They knew what slavery was like and they knew what the Passover miracle was when God sent his angel and set them free from somewhere they never in their wildest dreams actually would have believed would come true. We had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, crying out to God to rescue us. Nobody in living memory from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation could remember not being in slavery. And they had this resonant uh, faith in a God uh, who somehow had worked with them, but they really didn't understand that. And so Joshua and Caleb were two men who remembered. They remembered Egypt and they remembered from where they had come. And they had remembered making that journey to the promised land in six weeks or a very short time and looking out over the promised land and seeing that what they had hoped to be there wasn't looking that encouraging. It looked just like the land they had come from. And they sent scouts out and Joshua and Caleb would have remembered going into that land and saying, this is the land God's given us. There are people living here all over the place. And there are people that, for some of them anyway, they said in our eyes they look like giants and we feel like grasshoppers. And they spent 40 days wandering through that land and, and, and exploring it. And they saw so many good things in that land. They saw, as, as, as Ken actually said, the blessings. They saw the grapes and they saw the food and they saw the beauty. And they came back and they said, there's beauty here. It's a good land. Lots of blessing. But there are people in this land that we didn't expect to find and they look strong and they look intimidating and we don't feel very strong or intimidating so I don't think uh, we can go in there. And God had said to them, you go in there, put your feet on the land and I will give it to you. And they said, no, they're bigger than us. So Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who said, but let's go because God has promised and the rest said, God might have promised, but this is what we see. And what we see is going to take authority over what our spirits have been told. And so we're going to respond to what we see in the natural, because slavery in Egypt is still very much where we come from, and we're going to actually not go in. And God said, that's too bad. I guess you're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, and your children will get the inheritance. And Joshua and Caleb, I don't know how they did it, wandered around in the desert saying, but we wanted to go. And the Lord, I guess, said to them, you wait. All of us in this room have those moments. They're promises of God over your life. Some of which you know, some of which you don't know. And some of those promises haven't come true and you go, I've given up, I'm not going in. Well, some of them might come true, but you look over and you go, I can't see any evidence for this. So I'm not even going to believe anymore. So you gave up. And one day you stand before God and he says, I gave it to you. All you had to do was step through and into it. He said, but I didn't see any evidence of it. He said, I know that. But it's not about what you see with your eyes. 
And so eventually they came to that place again on the borders of the promised land where Joshua and Caleb led them in and they began to experience the power of God to take and defeat the people of whom they had once been afraid. And in fact it was all turned around. And the people in that land were afraid of them and they did battle and they, they took the land. And Joshua now, as an old man, very old man, is about to die. And he has a testimony. And his testimony is of God's faithfulness. God's remarkable faithfulness to a people who were pretty ambivalent and to whom he had extended enormous grace and kindness. And I think the last words of a man who was a, a forerunner really of Jesus are worth paying attention to. In our culture, in our land where there is, as Ken again said, blessing and comfort and our anticipation of what God means is I just don't want my roof to leak when it rains and I don't want to be in any kind of discomfort. We have a very immature level of, of, of how God works very egocentric very often and God's saying I want to build and train you up to be to be powerful but that's going to take some work so just let's look at a very few things quickly about what Joshua said to these men and women that he was going to leave behind he said things to them that I think are important for us as we talk about a vision God gives to Jericho Road a vision God gives to us of where he's leading us. And they're personal as well as to the community. He says, I'm old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. A very deep awareness of God's faithfulness how do we live? How do you live? How, how, do you, how do you live today? Are you living with a sense that God is faithful to you? He will be faithful to you. And if he is faithful, then you can imagine for a future that you would never have imagined for if it just depended upon you. Is the way you and I speak a reflection of our vision or God's vision in us and through us? Can you see what God sees are your eyes only trained to see what is natural because if your eyes only see what you see around us in the natural you'll never ever go anywhere it'll be too scary as I alluded to earlier the natural world is the context in which God demonstrates his power so God brings us as a church into this place and says here's a building use it and we go, no, 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 but it's going to cost too much. And he says, use it. It's in the context of this stuff that we can touch that God shows us the supernatural. He says, I'll show you, but you're going to have to walk into it. You're going to have to try. You're going to have to risk. You're going to have to dare. Because if you don't, you won't get anywhere. It's one thing to sing a song. It's another thing to live it, Right? So those people who came out of Egypt are people who were on a journey of faith where God said, I've taken you out of slavery now. You called me to do that. I'm now going to lead you into the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven on earth as in heaven. 
And to do that, you're going to have to have a change of mind and heart. You're going to have to trust me when you can't see. So it will come no surprise that very often when you're dealing with God, when you're following God, you go through a place of, it doesn't make sense to me. How many of us are still trying to make sense of things that God's calling or saying to you? Or trying to work it out? How, how often, I mean, when's the penny going to drop? That lots of things don't make sense. He just says, trust me. Trust me. God is faithful and he keeps his, his, his promises. And in verse 3, you have seen everything the Lord your God has done. Be strong, verse 6. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or the left. Joshua said to them, you need to have a place where you align yourself. You need to be, have a place that's outside of your emotions, outside of everything that you are, and that is in my word. You need to know my word. You need to read my word so that actually you learn who I am and what I'm like. What's the reason you can stand next to people and declare truth over them and say, God loves you, you are his child, he is your, you, you can step into his inheritance? It's because it's in his word. And so we need to be a church and a group that reads his word so that we know where he is and who he is. I'm, not going, I'm just going to skim through these. But first of all, it's God is faithful. As you enter into the land, know who God is. He is faithful. Also know his word, because in his word he reveals things about himself. Then he warns them. He says, do not associate with those nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the name of their gods or, or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. It's one of the hardest things for us and says, so is the Christian community distinctive from the culture in which it grows, in which it lives? Is the Christian community any different from those among whom it lives? Does it get its priorities and its values and its securities from a different place? And if you're like me, that's a tug of war. That's an ongoing battle. But what God is calling us to be is saying, I want to teach you how to rely on me. And the only way that I can teach you how to rely on me is in relationship with one another as you walk day by day through this life. That's why God calls us to be a church that is, is, is embedded in relationship. Because relationship keeps things real. It's not real when we say, well, I'm just going to go and pray about that. It usually means I don't want to talk to you and I want to do this on my own. Right? You ever heard anybody say that? Have you ever said that? Of course you need to pray. But there's also an element of working things out together that is much easier for God to work through and in terms of who we are and where he's leading us. Some of us are going to say we don't like relationship. So that's okay, God will teach you to like it. We are so deeply rooted into the dysfunctional 
that we cannot believe God will ever lead us into something else. And there are no exceptions. We self-medicate in the spirit all the time. Determine what we need, how we're going to get it, and who we're going to get it through. And God says, I thought I was Lord. The answers to the cries of our hearts are right in our lives right now. So thank God for where you are. Thank God for your circumstance and say, Lord, where are we going to go from here? Which is what Jeannie's really saying is in her testimony. is saying, give me the stuff that you're struggling with now so that I can replace it. Instead of just going, I wish you would get me out of here. He says, well, I'd love to, honey. But that's sexist because lots of guys say that too. Less politely, probably. He says, I will get you out of there if you actually follow me. But those people who, in the end, uh, were afraid to go into the promised land wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So be aware of the culture, be aware of the pull of the culture, and be aware of the destruction of the culture. It's very important. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. I think most of us need to uh, allow God to, to lead us into a greater uh, experience of his power in our lives. I think we spend so much time explaining to God what he can't do because of us rather than hearing him say to us, well, I can do enormous things in you. I just need you. Do you understand that? God is not at all bothered by your weakness or your struggles in the sense of it doesn't invalidate you. He just says, if you actually just give yourself to me, watch what I'll do. Look what happened in that promised land stuff. Those guys were weak and they were pathetic, but I actually used them. And in doing so, I made them look strong. And the enemy ran away from them because I worked in them because God is extraordinarily powerful. So what happens if God is saying to you, you have... We can live... I've said this many times. We can live like this. This is our past... And I walk backwards into the future saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm trying to get free from. And I trip over things all the time because I'm walking backwards. When Jesus meets us, he says, look, turn around. Behind you is my cross. Now walk. But where am I going to walk? I've never walked this way. I, I've, never seen, I've never seen this before. I just know this. He says, I know. That's why you're so screwed up. Look, turn around. Why? Because I, I've got a future for you. I have a promised land for you. But I've never been here before. I understand dysfunction. He says, well, I don't like dysfunction. I've come to set you free. Walk into the promised land. But it looks the same. He said, it'll be different. Walk. But it looks the same. Walk. No, but it looks the same. Walk. It looks the same. No, walk. God doesn't, I'm still praying about whether God wants me to go or not. We're going to have a Bible study here for five years and ask God to teach us. Give me more faith, Lord. Let's sing some songs. Oh God, I help in ages past. Thank you.
They come back 40 years later to the same river and he says, bushes have grown a bit, same river. Yeah, but I'm really tired of this. Yeah, let's go. Tentatively over. Let's go. Still alive. Let's go. Step by step into the promised land. Every step you take, I will give you ownership. It's called rejecting passivity and moving forward. Are you waiting for God yet? Are you still waiting for God? Or you're actually taking responsibility and moving? That's what he's saying to the church. He says, I want you to step out. I want you to step in. I want you to go where no one's gone before. And says, know the power of God, know the faithfulness of God. You cannot know the faithfulness of God sitting down. You cannot know the faithfulness of God watching other people. You'll never have a testimony for yourself. You'll never have a testimony that you'll stand up and speak to because you will live wrapped in safety and fear. So I want to encourage us as a church to go, the messiness of growth is exactly what it is. It's the mix-up of fear and trying to get there and all the rest of it. And I think that's what God wants to encourage us in. It's process all the time. Am I making sense? It's messiness. It's messiness. But be, that's why we need one another. Sometimes you, you, know, you get stuck somewhere and somebody else comes along and says, you know, I remember when I was there as well. And I felt just like you did. But let me tell you that you know, somebody kicked me in the butt and they forced me to go there and I'm so glad they did. I didn't appreciate it at the time. I actually was quite angry with them. But now I'm thrilled because it got me out of that place. That's why we need one another. Every single one of us, brothers and sisters, couldn't care whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, highly analytical or emotional crazy. We all need one another. We all need one another. We all need one another. Nudge the person next to you. So that means you. You need me. You do. You're not sure. All right. And the thing that Joshua said to them, that he seemed to say a number of times, um, not only the promises of God, but he says, so be very careful to love the Lord your God. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. You can make that into a command, and you can make that into the command, say, you've got to love God more. Love God more. How do you do that? Well, Jesus came into the world and he said, Love one another as I have loved you. See, as God speaks to us, he doesn't so much give us commands as invitations. That's why it's so important for us individually to go, So how, how loved are you feeling today? What is it like for you to be loved by God this morning? What's it like for you to be loved by God today, right now? And some of us will be able to say, I do feel loved. Some of us will say, I think he left me behind about three weeks ago, or three years ago, or three decades ago. And some of us will have no feeling at all. We'll be like the older brother and say, well, if God loved me, why is he letting this happen? 
If God loved me, why? And we just fill in the blanks. If you measure the love of God by your circumstances, you will never be loved. Because the circumstances are all kinds of things. But God's word to you and to me today is you will never either... Joshua took the promised land because he knew he was loved by God. He had proven God's faithfulness in his obedience. He had tested it. He had found God to be true. And so he ended up being a passionate leader who said, let's go. He's faithful. And he had spent a lot of time in God's presence with Moses, actually. So the whole question of being loved, that's where God lives and starts. If you know that you are loved, you can trust. As a church, do we know the love of the Father? Not the teaching about it. Do we know it? Are we, are we fanning it into flame? Is it something that's really core value? The love of the Father. That everything we do is around the love of the Father. He loves you. There is nothing that is in your life that will cause you to be rejected. There is no one who walks into these doors who need be afraid of rejection because the love of the Father is held high in esteem. There is nothing that you can do to one another that causes you to be rejected and be, be, be cast out because the love of the Father knows no boundaries. What's it like to be a church like that? The only way that you can know love and forgiveness and power and passion is through relationships that actually interact. Doing this doesn't work because we just shoulder to shoulder in silence, right? It's the interaction that's so important. And the way that we become a powerful community that will take the promised land is in knowing the love of God the Father and in knowing his power and his presence in our relationships and in our context day by day. I think I'm going to shut up now. I was going to go through the whole thing of why is uh, Jericho Road. Jericho Road. I'll just give you the headings. I gave this talk when we started off as Jericho Road. And um, just the, out of the J-E-R-I-C-H-O. And to believe me, this is going to take two minutes. The J started for a journey with Jesus. That we need to be completely focused in Jesus and around Jesus to survive following Jesus. The E of Jericho means to be embedded in the world. In other words, the Jericho road goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho and people can get on it and they can come off it at any place. It's rooted in the world. It's not a religious huddle. It's not a building. It's a journey. And so the whole point of Jericho Road as a church is a community on a journey that is learning as we go along. We haven't got all the answers. We're learning. So guess what? We're imperfect. And we're seeking to God to be faithful in the midst of our imperfection and that's why you're very welcome to be part of it because if you're screwed up, you qualify. <laughs> Paul said, I will boast of my weaknesses in order that Jesus will be glorified. So guess what? He's given you a leader who is full of weaknesses and of whom many people know his weaknesses. But guess what, too? These weaknesses have become, as they said in the songwriters, songwriters have this wonderful ability to say, he took my scars and made them into a chandelier or something. And it's sort of beautiful, but it's also true. It's true. 
You remember the Paul Simon song? It's got nothing to do with anything other than what I'm talking about. Um, uh, his song that he wrote in Africa, Diamonds in the Soles of My Shoes. You remember that song, any of you? Diamonds in the, I got, he's got diamonds in the soles of his shoes. You know where that comes from? It comes from Africa. It comes from poor people. They lift up their soles of their shoes and they've got holes in them. They say, hey, those are Diamonds. And they transform the negative into a positive. So they say, I've got diamonds in my shoes, and it looks as a status symbol. I've got holes in my shoes. Check it out. Would you like some? That's how to live. It's how to live. It's how to take all that life gives you and just turn it into something that's got joy in it. Because I won't be defeated. I won't be overcome. That's how God calls us to live. So you then say, if he gives me new shoes or not, I don't really care. The R of Jericho is for relationships that I've talked about. The I is for involvement. We've talked a lot about that over the, the months, which means get involved, get your hands dirty. The Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan, what? One guy actually stopped and did something. The religious people wandered around. The C is for communication with God, prophetic words, all that kind of stuff. Communication, 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 which means speaking and listening, interacting as well. The H is for the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there is nothing. There is absolutely nothing. The Holy Spirit, speaking words, releasing gifts, empowering the weak is what we are entirely dependent upon. And the O is for openness and freedom. What does that mean? That means you can come or you can go. It's up to you. Nobody's going to close the doors, lock them and force you to do anything. We are all responsible for the journey that we are on. And we can share it together. So God, I believe, is calling us to say, let's just keep moving into the promised land. There are going to be struggles. There are going to be challenges. But hey, look what's happened in the last year. It wasn't because of me. And it wasn't because of you. Despite you, possibly, and certainly despite me, but look what happened. God sort of drew us into the strange sort of pathway, and he's brought us together. So let's say to him, Lord, where do you want to go further? Because you see, the danger in every journey is you want to stop and camp. Let's build a shrine here and just live here for the rest of our lives. You know how it works in the church? I'll tell you how it works. You have an annual general meeting. And at the annual general meeting, you discuss things like the rules, the constitution, and then you get to the budget. And the budget is the place where Egypt kicks in with a vengeance, where it goes, we can't afford that, what we're doing is wrong, why we're doing this. And you watch the spirit of money rises up, doesn't it? So you want to know what to do with the spirit of the money? Just say, go to hell. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I speak right now over this body of freedom. I'm not talking about irresponsibility. I'm just saying, Jesus, we agree with you that mammon is not what we're going to serve. So our, our budget is not going to be determined by the natural And I'm not setting you up to manipulate you. I'm merely saying, Jesus, we want to declare that your will will be accomplished over this church 
even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Give us a united vision that is not weighted down by a fear that comes out of money being provided or not being provided for. Because you are a God with enormous wealth. So Father, we just uh, declare your favor over this place today. We pray that we would walk into the promised land. We pray that God the Father's love would be present among us, that our relationships would be strong, our communication good, and that, Father, we would be a place where people in the real world can find that you are the real world and that they're living in Egypt. So, Lord, we bless you for the journey we're on. We thank you for the witness of Joshua. We want to be those who witness to your strength and your love and your power. Amen. Let's sing a song, shall we, that is about uh, obedience to go. If you say go, we will go. We're then going to take a break.